Welcome to React Roundup Podcast. I'm your host for this hour, Jack Harrington. And with me is Paige Niederinghaus. Hello, everyone. And TJ Van Toll. Hey, everybody. So good to be here. And we have a panelist episode this week where we're talking about interviewing. And this is a big deal since I think going into the new year, a lot of folks are going to be looking around for a new job. So we got some questions from newbie developers and junior developers and senior developers about the interviewing process. And we're going to go through those and give our thoughts. Does that sound good, guys? Sounds like fun. Yeah. yeah. Let's do All it. Right. Hey, folks, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. And lately, I've been working on actually building out Top End Devs. If you're interested, you can go to topendevs.com slash podcast, and you can actually hear a little bit more about my story, about why I'm doing what I'm doing with Top End Devs, why I changed it from uh, devchat.tv to Top End Devs. But what I really want to get into is that I have decided that I'm going to build the platform that I always wished I had with devchat.tv, and I renamed it to Top End Devs because I want to give you the resources that are going to help you to build the career that you want, right? So whether you want to be an influencer in tech, whether you want to go and just max out your salary and then go live a lifestyle with your family, your friends, or just traveling the world or whatever, I, I want to give you the resources that are going to help you do that. We're going to have career and leadership resources in there, and we're going to be giving you content on a regular basis to help you level up and max out your career. So go check it out at topendevs.com. If you sign up before my birthday, that's December 14th. If you sign up before my birthday, you can get 50% off the lifetime of your subscription. Once again, that's topendevs.com. Well, let's try out our first one. So should you study algorithms? I feel like this is the the meme, right? Like about interviews now that's like your traditional, like if the stereotypical tech interview is you go in, you get on a whiteboard, you're asked to like implement a red, blue or red, black tree. Uh, <laughs> yes, yes. Or exactly. the sorting algorithms, I feel like is the other it's the other good one. I don't know how true that meme is anymore, though. Like, obviously, like, there's always going to be a degree of for all of these questions, it depends on the job, it depends on what you're applying for. Because if you're going for like, if you're really going neck deep into like a Google job where you're proving okay. the efficiency of a database, then yeah, you probably do need to study algorithms. But I feel like if you're going for your average React job, chances are algorithms are not going to come up unless it's something kind of niche to whatever it is you're working on. Yeah, I think that if you're if you're not necessarily going for Fang, like you were saying, any of the really big ones, Facebook, Amazon, Net- Netflix, Google, those types, Apple, if you're not going for one of those jobs where they just need as many developers as they can get who are proficient in mostly in a lot of computer science stuff, I think is still kind of the, the usual way that they interview then you probably aren't going to need algorithms as much. You'll probably still be asked if you can explain some concepts that might be relevant to your job, like how well do you understand JavaScript? Like you might be asked, how what is a promise? Or can mm. you tell me how a closure works? But yes. I, I think that by and large, it's getting better at understanding that different skill sets are needed based on what the team you're going to is, as well as what the company is and the the role that you're applying for. So if you're going for a front end job, they're probably going to ask you and it's maybe react based, they might ask you to take an array of data and map it or sort list it out in the browser. Or they might ask you how you would fetch the data using react hooks or 
or maybe not, maybe using old, old style React class components. But I think that having some of that underlying knowledge is good. But if you're being asked to, to write and traverse a binary tree and then remove a node, I couldn't even do that. And I can almost guarantee you that you're never going to do that in your day job. So oh, no. as much as it's good to understand those fundamentals and those underlying principles, I don't think that it's as relevant for most of the jobs that we're going for and doing daily as it might sound like when you're in boot camp or computer science programs, honestly. Yeah, I'll double down on the on the async, the promises and the closures. You know, when I do my interviews, I, I definitely cover that. Also references in arrays and objects or references to arrays and objects, things like that, because that really trips folks up and they get in the whole immutable thing. But that would be secondary, I would say, to like promises and was it, closures. Yes. Now, promises is actually number one. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I just went through a series of interviews myself and one prominent company actually, yeah, no, no data structures at all, which is great. Very practical. I thought that was awesome. So I, yeah, and I, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't, when I'm on interviewing panels, I tend to make sure that we, if we ask those kind of questions, you don't ask a lot of them. And if we, we don't kind of hold it against you, if you can't, if you don't know, like the magic answer, like the O login, you know, <laughs> perfect or the O one one perfect answer. If you give like a practical, decent solution, no, that's good enough. That's fine. You're just proving code. That's really what where, where it comes down to. Yeah, and that might lead into our second question on our list, which is like, what React should you study? Or really, we could even put that in like, what in general should you study? And so I think like, what is React Roundup? Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> we're, we're React Roundup. We're probably assuming that a lot of people listening to this, they're interviewing for some sort of web development or probably like React specific job. And like, to me, usually for this, it's not so much to study things, but I, I always like to learn by building. So like, for me, like, I replace the word studying with like, what should I like tinker with in in an app, or just even if it's just something simple, like a code sandbox type of thing, like I, I always learn by doing but I don't know, I, I guess I can kick us off, like definitely the react fundamentals, like knowing how hooks work, the very least the basics, like you should have use state use effect down really, really well, probably knowing a bit of routing react router, the basics of how that works, a little bit of state management, like maybe have some opinions on how you like state management to work and at least know like the built in ways of doing state management and react can help as well. I think those are some of the basics. Uh, what else am I missing here? I think that in today's development, it's pretty popular to use TypeScript. So if you mm. could get a little bit of experience trying out TypeScript and understanding how types work, at least at a higher level, that'll really probably put you in good company. Just general JavaScript, because a lot of React is just JavaScript yeah. with maybe yeah. a different name or a slightly different way of implementing it. But it really d boils down to a lot of JavaScript fundamentals. You know, all of the functional components are using closures, which a lot of people I don't think make the connection to until they start writing it and seeing it every day. It also gives you a little bit of exposure to classes, which are relatively new to JavaScript, but are still a nice feature to have at different points in time. I would say that try and be familiar with both, both types of React. So the class-based components and the functional components, because 
there's a really good chance that if you get onto an, a larger team or an older project, you'll have to deal with both. So knowing how to navigate both types of components will probably be beneficial to you or even maybe learning to convert a class-based one into a functional one could be something that you're asked to do. That yeah, um, was a good exercise. Yeah. TJ's point, yeah. And then one thing that I, I would definitely stress because I didn't put enough focus onto this when I was starting out as a developer or getting out of coding bootcamp is how to set up some sort of a server to fetch data from a, an API. That was definitely something that I kind of learned in bootcamp, but it didn't really solidify in my head until I was trying to do my own side project. And setting up that express server was a lot harder than I originally anticipated it was going to be. So trying to go, I guess, kind of more full stack so that you can say, yes, I understand the back end enough to figure out how to deal with cores issues or to <laughs> I was gonna say cores, headers, the, the bear. tokens or cookies or JWT tokens or whatever. That's definitely going to really help up your game and make you probably stand out from some candidates who may not, may be very, very front end and may not have enough experience on the node back end side to be able to stand up a full fledged application, which is a lot of how the applications are built nowadays. Which is a good thing to know anyway. I mean, if you're going to go start your own thing or do something in the garage, make your own app, mm-hmm. it's a good skill to have. You know, you know how to make the back end work too. I would say, I would just add on and say that everybody knows where they're weak. Wait, it's like, oh, boy, if I ask me a question about that, oh, man, I just, I just don't know. You know, like context or, I mean, in, pr- in particular, I would say dependency arrays. I think a lot of folks, like, don't really understand the reactive state management model just baked into React. The one with use state or use reducer and then use memo, use callback and use effect. And wh- how those dependency arrays work, particularly if you're doing async stuff. So a good little app that you can build just, you know, this is a five minute deal is to go build a timer. Just go build something that like actually just has, has a, a set interval inside of an effect. And then, you know, how is that going to work? And you will learn a lot about dependency arrays and what not to put in a dependency array, what to put in a dependency array just from doing that little exercise alone. And it'll give you f- some good feeling about it. But it's one of those things where you got if you're in the React space, like you have to know those kind of almost cold. Yeah, the other thing, too, that's worth checking out is to look at the job listing, right? Like if they're saying the skills they want, and there's like two of them where you have no idea what they are. Well, you don't need to feel the need to like be a master of everything because job listings are notoriously like they want you to be an expert in 27 (laughs) things. So I try not to be overwhelmed by that. But if they list two or three things that you're not familiar with, maybe take just an hour or two on each of them to just at least become familiar with what they are so you can speak somewhat intelligently about them. So if you see TypeScript on the job listing and you haven't done TypeScript before, well, that's probably something that's worth at least tinkering with or studying with a bit before you interview. Similar thing with other technologies, like if they list Redux and you haven't done Redux before, same same sort of deal, because I think that can help guide maybe what you need to look into or could prioritize too. I do want to double down, on, though, and say don't exclude yourself if you don't have 100% of the things on that resume. Because, well, in particular, let's put out there, men don't do that. Men just like, <laughs> hey, we're going to just whatever, go. I've got like two things out of 100 done. Where women tend to like, you know, like, hey, if it says X, it, you got to have X, right? And I- And don't do that. 
Yeah. I downloaded Redux once. I've got it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. check mark. Totally know it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's another thing with the job listings is that the, like Jack said, that they're looking for the unicorn oh. and nobody, I can almost guarantee you that no developer that they can pay whatever they're listing that job for knows all the things that are listed on that job. And you'll really start to notice it, especially when you're dealing with non-technical recruiters, because they'll have something that doesn't even make sense, like right. 15 years of, of uh, React experience. And <laughs> React has not even been around for that long. So you'll really, you'll start to notice pretty quickly that people just throw random numbers in like they want four years of experience but they but the things that they're listing it's like probably somebody with eight or ten years might have most of these things so if you don't feel like you qualify apply anyway because you'll be very surprised who you might get callbacks from versus things that you thought you were totally a shoe in and you don't hear back from the company at all so it really is just Go for it. If it sounds interesting and like something you might be inter- might want to do, just apply. <laughs> well, I think that's good advice in general because sometimes you can learn a lot just going through the process. Even like yeah. I went through processes where I realized I was very underqualified, but mm-hmm. I was still kind of happy I did it because I got a sense of like where I needed to get to. Yeah. If I wanted that sort of a role, and there was there, there's no harm in the process. You you learn a lot about how to. It's like anything else in life. You get better at it by doing it. So if you want to get better at interviewing it, if you do a bunch of them, you're going to get more comfortable with the process and improve at it, too. Yeah, I have totally bombed interviews and felt, (laughs) you know, I can tell that it's going downhill during the process, but you still (laughs) got two rounds left. And by the end, I, you know, it is awful because, you know, there is no way that this company is going to hire you unless they unless some some miracle happens. But (laughs) But it's still a great experience because you figure out what you had no clue about. You can write down notes in between of what you need to go back and really focus on for next time. And that's great. It really it shows your weaknesses, but then you can do something about it. And that's a great segue to our next question, which is you wanted the job and you really, really want you liked it, but you bummed the interview. So how do you recover from that? Ice cream. (laughs) Seconded. (laughs) Maybe taking the day off after the interview, because I've gone through a a couple of those where it's an all day kind of event and you're just completely wiped out afterward. So some days, if you can just take like a sick day from work and just Mm -hmm. do nothing, sit on the couch and let your brain melt, that's good. (laughs) Also, as I was saying, though, as you're going through it, if as you come across questions that you don't know the answer to maybe try and write those down so later on you can go and look them up and and learn them and it's really it is so subjective it It really is yeah you could think that you did great you aced it you got along with everybody people liked you you asked good questions and the company can still come back and say no we're going in a different direction thanks for your time or we found somebody internally or a million other things and you'll never really know but just it's not about you at that point. It's about them. <laughs> I think that that's a good way of pra- of putting this because it's human nature to overreact to these sorts of things. So th- that that's why this is hard because yeah. interviews are inherently subjective processes. And I've 
felt this way. I've been on both sides of the equation now for for many, many years. And as much as you try to make things as objective as possible, there's always going to be a little bit of just whether it seems like a good fit or these these totally like untangible things that play into the equation. So if you don't get the role, like, especially when you don't know why, that's also a challenging thing to deal with. Don't think that you're a total failure, right? It's it's just like you just kind of have to try again, try to learn from the experience and see what you can do next time. I don't know. There's no easy answer to this. I wish there was. I do like what Paige said about remembering the things that you stumbled on. And maybe if you, it is like a, you know, one of those questions where, oh, you know, I probably should be able to do that and nail it in real life, right? Then go back and, and work it. Like just, you know, fire up VS Code, make yourself some sample project or whatever, and just pound the tar out of it, you know, just like, you know, kill it and, and feel really good about that. And that, that will help you stretch your skills, give you, you know, a lot of confidence back, and then you'll know for next time. I think that that's just really, yeah, a good way to go. Yeah. Yep, you learn by doing both coding oh, yeah. and interviewing. So it's just when you, what's the metaphor I'm looking for? When you fall off the horse, you get back on. You got to right? get right That's, back on it. Yeah, <laughs> but it is so tough for you know junior developers looking to get into that that first job. That is the toughest one, and you know. But if you can go and do add some things to your resume, like when, for example, you take that those interview questions or that little side project that you do. And you put that on Code Sandbox or Stack Blitz, and now and you put that on your resume. Now, as a as a hiring manager or or hiring or or lead engineer or whatever, I can now go and click on your resume, click on a link on your resume, and see something cool that you made. And I'm like, yeah, all right. And I got the code right there, and I can see how you approach the problem. It's all good. Well, that's a decent segue into our another question we wanted to cover is to how to get past the the resume black hole, like how to get to that interview, get really just get your very first job in the tech world. And unfortunately, I think this is another one that's doesn't have an easy answer to do one of you two want to kick this one off? Sure. I mean, for me personally, I came out of coding boot camp and the way that I ended up getting my first job, which was with Home Depot, was through a recruiter. And they were not a recruiter specific to Home Depot. They were a technical recruiter who placed candidates with lots of larger companies around the area. So for for me, I think that he originally reached out to me when I was going through boot camp and we had a couple of really good phone conversations, which gave me the impression that he was one of the recruiters who is not just trying to fill a certain number of slots. He very much listened to what I was looking for out of bootcamp, which was a job where I could learn from a lot of other developers and be part of a development team. So he and I just kept in touch as the bootcamp progressed. And he ended up getting me in front of my hiring manager who ended up hiring me because he placed other candidates with him. So that's how it worked for me. But I, I applied to Home Depot directly. I knew a girl from a cohort before me who had gotten in that way. And I applied to 60 or 70 companies before I even graduated. And yeah. Only got here. I only heard back from like three or four in the affirmative, if I heard back at all. And then none of those ended up working out, but this one did. So I would say that recruiters, if you can get a feel for them and you can tell that they're not just trying to push as many candidates in front of a potential client as, as possible. Another thing might be meetups, which I know is very hard in the time of COVID, but Mm -hmm. just meeting other people in the community who are doing what you want to do and might be able to say, hey, 
I work for so, such and such, and we have some openings for junior developers, or I know somebody at another company or in another department who might be hiring, that's a, a great way to kind of get a warm lead, which is usually what you want before, yeah. besides a cold one. So outside of the usual advice around like a cover letter that is customized to the company and, you know, oh, I'm the biggest fan of your company that I've only heard of ever once before, but that kind of thing. I would say a really good thing is to, if they, if it's a tech company, then they usually have like a discord or something like that and, or a Slack and you can get on there and you can actually like be part of the developer community in there and potentially do a PR request to them or show them how you use their product in a certain way. And that can give you, you know, sort of a foot in the door, particularly to like a smaller, like a seed company that's early in the early days. Yeah, I think really you're you're looking for ways to stand out from the crowd, because mm. if all you have, if you're just someone out of a coding boot camp, you don't have any work experience, you got to put your find a way to put yourself ahead of all the other people in that situation. So they can be something like, any sort of visible way that you can show that you understand the material. So create your own website, uh, start writing your own blog, YouTube videos, anything you feel sort of personally passionate about or want to try. Um, having that sort of provable knowledge out in the world can help give you a step up that shows that you know things because really that is showing that it, it really is kind of experience in a way because you're saying like I built this. I have the experience of building this. I can talk about doing it and the things that I learned and that can help give you a leg up. Yeah, definitely. Well, I think that that's a good, you know, that's all great advice. But once you're in the interview, which I know this is something that I still struggle with today, how do you keep yourself from just kind of spiraling or in my case, maybe rambling? if I don't really know the answer. <laughs> How do you keep yourself from getting so overwhelmed with nerves and not just kind of freaking out when you're on the hot seat, so to speak? Oh, man, some of this, I feel like we're, we step out of the tech realm and into like the psychological <laughs> realm. We almost oh, need like a trained like psychologist to deal with this because I think the same sort of thing applies to public speaking or anything else. So if I mean, if there are techniques that work for you in other phases of your life, they should also work during the interview process. I, I don't know if there's a great answer to this. I will say like, it does get easier as you keep doing it. Like, like anything else, the first time you do anything, you're going to be nervous as heck going into it. But as you do it, the, the nerves will still be there. They never go away. Like nerves are there, they exist for a reason. They help keep us on high alert and, and such, but practice makes perfect. So that certainly <laughs> helps. I, I don't know, feeling prepared, I, I think helps like if you if you feel like you've put in the work versus like, I mean, I'm more nervous if I show up for school for a test that I haven't studied for versus one that I have studied for. So if you do the prep work going in, I think that can help a little bit as well. I don't know what other tips do we have? There was some stuff that I learned during like public speaking classes around ways to get get around the the first minute jitters that people have as they're going into a presentation. There's that if you can get past the first minute or two, you're usually okay. And some of those are around play music for yourself before you go into the interview. And you know, just make it be that comfortable music that is really soothing but but familiar. Or another thing you can do is uh, play a honestly, a video game, <laughs> like maybe you have your switch out, you know, you, you play between that in between rounds, you just kind of 
take your mind out of it, put your mind somewhere else. And then, yeah. And, and just kind of relax, just try to relax. Hi, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. And lately I've been coaching some people on starting some podcasts and in some cases, just taking their career to the next level. You know, whether you're beginner going to intermediate, intermediate going to advanced, whether you're trying to get noticed in the community or go freelance, I've been helping these folks figure out how to get in front of people, how to build relationships and how to build their careers and max out and, and just go to the next level. So if you're interested in talking to me and having me help you go to the next level, go to topendevs.com slash coaching. I will give you a one hour free session where we can figure out what you're trying to do, where you're trying to go and figure out what the next steps are. And then from there, we can figure out how to get you to the place you want to go. So once again, that's topendevs.com slash coaching. Yeah. And one thing that I would say is when you get into a situation where maybe you don't know the answer, it is not the end of the world to say that, to tell the interviewer that you're not familiar with that or to say, you know, here's here's what I think it is, but I am not completely confident that that's the right answer. Because showing that you're fallible and that you don't have all the answers, but you're, you can take, you know, you can look it up, you can get back to them later. Um, and just talking, maybe if you're trying to get code to compile and it's not, or you're not getting the right answer, talking through how you would expect to solve the problem or pseudo coding it can be a great kind of way to just keep pushing forward. Because I think that's a lot of it is that you try to write something and of course you're nervous and jittery and it doesn't, you can't remember the right syntax or it's just not working. So trying to just kind of explain your your thought process, your reasoning, what you think it might be, how you got there, a lot of that is is good stuff. And showing that you don't have all the answers, but you're excited to learn or you're willing to look it up is better than trying to bluff your way through and <laughs> pretend that you do know when you are totally off base. And that's supposedly what they're looking for. I, I, I've been on interviewing teams, you know, talking about the process of interviewing before. And, and the person who asked like the algorithm question, like they've got their favorite algorithm question. Always, you know, always say like, I've been running this question for 30 years or whatever, blah, 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 blah. And I know. And like, well, what are you looking for? And they say, oh, I'm looking for how the person thinks about things. And which is a BS answer, honestly. I mean, to me, it's like, if you unless you have a degree in psychology, what are you really looking for? Right. But at the end of the day, I mean, yeah, Paige, you're, you're totally right. Like, if you can at least like talk through where your mind is going and that, that's certainly at least making some kind of traction in the mud before you can get mm, in, into some actual code. Yeah, because I can sort of see where that person's coming from, because my, my as when I conduct interviews, when I'm on the interviewer side of things, I always try to add, ask open ended questions that'll get the person talking. And what they're, the the actual answer, like I could ask, what's your favorite way of doing CSS and react? And I actually don't care what their favorite way is. I'm looking that they can just speak intelligently and show me that they've done this before and they've experimented with it. And they have some ideas of pros and cons. So they could pick Tailwind or SAS or whatever, right? I just looking that they're showing knowledge that they've experimented with this um, and that they've played with this. So I, I tend to lean towards those sort of questions that just make it into a conversation because 
I don't care that someone remembers the syntax live for any of these things. It's more just show me that you have experience working with these technologies. Yeah. Can I just throw in a question there? Yeah. (laughs) Can I just throw in a question that like, or a, if I'm on the interviewing panel, one of the questions that I love to ask is, I'll just use the whole interviewing session for this, is walk me through something you did recently that you're really proud of, walk me through the architecture of it, and then at a certain point, I'll be like, oh, okay, well, I'll change one of the core tenants. Like, what if it were multiplayer? How would you, how would you handle that? Or what if it were, what if you had three of these things that you thought you'd only have two or whatever? Like, how would that change things? But that, that gives the person, like, they're playing on their home turf at that point. Like, I lived this problem. Mm-hmm. Like, yep. I know everything about it. And I should be able to communicate it in a way where it makes sense. And, it, but, it, you know, it, it's a comfort zone. And I, I don't feel good in being in an interview, putting people on the hot seat because that's not reality, Yeah. right? Reality is you can use Google. Reality is that you've got, you know, Google and get a co-pilot and it's going to answer half this stuff for you. <laughs> the reality is that you don't need binary, like a search tree. They've all been implemented in NPM already, right? Yeah, it's just so unreal. And I don't think that it makes any sense to just stress somebody out and see how they perform with that kind of stress because it's just not natural. Yeah, that's that's actually a great one. One thing that I remember hearing from some interviews, like in terms of preparation, was to use the STAR framework, which is situation, task, action, and result. So if you can come up with some examples of these sorts of scenarios, which is pretty much what Jack is talking about, it's like, tell me about a complex problem that you solved at work and give me give me some specifics about it, you know, and that's, that's a great way to understand how somebody approaches a problem, you know, did they give up? Did they did it get shelved? Or what kind of blockers did they hit until they actually overcame the problem and solved it? That's a a really good way to get an idea of, you know, how somebody works with a team, how they figure things out, what they how many different things they'll try before finding a solution that works or figuring out a way around it. So if you can look at something like that and have some prepared examples that you can draw on, you're probably going to be able to really impress your interviewers or give them different, you know, give different interviewers different examples that show how good of a well-rounded candidate you are. So that's something that I would definitely encourage. And it doesn't take that long. You know, if you've been through boot camp or you've been through college, you've definitely hit these sorts of things, even just in your own projects. And then you can show how you how you overcame them, which is great, because that's all we're doing is solving problems in our daily jobs anyway. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and and for the folks who are just starting out, right, if you don't have that job experience, you know, and OK, absolutely. Uh, if you've gone through boot camp, you will have had your your final project. And then as, you know, TJ said, if you go and build some stuff on your own, you know, you can talk about the cool things that you did that are part of that, right? So there's always things, you know, hopefully, like you're working on cool, if you're working for yourself, you're working on some cool stuff. And uh, Yeah, exactly. Like if you haven't hit complex problems yet, then you probably aren't necessarily qualified for the job because you probably <laughs> should have done some sort of like, if it's in a boot camp or a side project, you should have hit something, right, that you're able to talk about. So um, that's definitely a legit sort of question that um, should have some sort of answer like that you've practiced or at least are prepared to approach sort of thing. And you're probably noticing from this com- the way that this conversation is going that if you're not coming with a computer science degree background, it's 
not really a detriment. Because one of the questions that I think a lot of people have is, is coding boot camp enough? If I'm, if, if I'm self-taught or if I went to a boot camp for three or four months, is that going to give me the same level of preparedness as somebody coming out of a four-year computer science degree? And the answer is probably no, you're not going to have the same level of underlying fundamental understanding as maybe somebody coming from a CS degree. But at the end of the day, unless you're going into academia, the fact that you understand theory is not going to help you write a for loop or build (laughs) a website. The fact that you can actually build a website and write usable JavaScript or React code matters a whole lot more. By the way, huge props for the the smoothest intro I think I've ever seen to a question. Well done. (laughs) Well, I'll also add to that, too, that just because you have a CS degree doesn't imply that you actually know the theory. (laughs) I can say that from firsthand experience, too, right? Because it doesn't guarantee that you've mastered any of this, or more importantly, that you've retained it Mm -hmm. years later. Like, I, I have a computer science degree. I did algorithm work. But I mean, man, at this point, that was... 15 years ago, I couldn't sort uh, an array better than anybody else. Probably people from boot camp could do it better because they've been closer to that sort of stuff, right? So it's, it's, I think my answer to this would be the same as when we talked about in the first question, like Jack said, for some jobs, yes, it still does matter. It's not like it's a totally irrelevant thing and it'll help you. But for the vast majority of stuff, like any like Re- React web developer, especially like junior type positions for that, like it's it's definitely not necessary. Yeah. I, mean, I would say having some knowledge of like big O notation, mm-hmm. at least at the level of O1 versus O log N versus O N versus O N squared and cubed. Yeah. Right. That, that's actually I, I did. I, that was the level to which I knew it, which is where my training ended. And my, now my daughter is going through CS. And I now realize that there's like, oh, my God, big O is like, there's, there's a whole lot more than that. <laughs> but I'll tell you, you know, actually seeing her going through CS and going through just college in general, gives me an interesting counterpoint to the the code school experience that I've also seen. And I've worked with folks from code school, and they've been awesome and excellent i I think absolutely just 100 you can get a job with being code school that being said like i i think actually in some ways the cs thing is is a little bit like depending on the school that you go to it's it's not as good as a boot camp like Mm -hmm. my daughter she's going to a local the state university and it's it is the classic like cs it is c (laughs) <laughs> honest yeah. C, like K and R C <laughs> and then and then C plus plus. And it's like, where are you going to like it's definitely not a web skill, that's for sure. I guess like NVIDIA NVIDIA is local to us, Intel is local to us. So maybe you're getting some skills that would work in that context. Mm-hmm. But yeah, come on. Like who I, when was the last time you really needed to use Calloc and Malloc and Free and that sort of stuff? I mean, even if you're even like C folks, they don't use that. Like they they use boost everything else to do memory management and yada, yada. But yeah. Yeah, you're probably going to learn more relevant frameworks from a coding bootcamp than you are from a, a, a traditional computer science. Because like, like you said, they're using, they're still using Java and Python and C and just the fundamental languages that the internet or the building blocks of computers. But for web development jobs, those are not 
things that you would be using. You're going to use JavaScript. I can almost guarantee you're going to use some flavor of JavaScript if you're building things on the client side for the browser. It just, yeah. it is what it is. <laughs> I mean, nowadays there's Wasm and that's slowly coming to the fore, but really now, yeah, you're right. It's totally, it's totally JavaScript. And that knowledge of malloc and free and all that is just not going to get you anywhere. Interestingly, I, I did work with a woman at Nike who she had a career based on the C and C++ CS stuff. And then she start, raised a family, you know, and then she got back in the workforce. And in as part of getting back in the workforce, she went through a boot camp to get the fresh set of skills that mm -hmm. she needed to actually compete. And there you go. She landed a job, a really nice job at Nike. I have a friend like that, actually. He had a, a career the first time around in technology and then moved up to the point where he was in management and director level positions. And when he finally kind of retired out of that, he decided that he wanted to go back to what he enjoyed the most, which was actually writing code. So he took the same boot camp class that I did and got into a great job at Chick-fil-A and is now like a team lead, but he's still, he's getting to do exactly what he wants, which is write code and work with technology. And he exactly did the same thing. He rebooted himself after still being in tech, but just catching back up with all the changes that had happened since he'd moved out of writing code on the day-to-day. -day. That's really cool. Mm -hmm. So let me segue not as nicely as Paige did into the next question, <laughs> which is what should you look out for during the interview? You know, they're interviewing you, but you're interviewing them too. So what mm -hmm. are some things that you see as red, maybe some red flags during the interview that you should look out for? I can start us off there. Go um, for it. One of the things that has tipped me off before in previous interviews, and I, whenever I'm, I'm interviewing with a company, I try to, especially if they're large enough, I try to do my homework beforehand. So I'll look at things like Glassdoor reviews. Basically, I'll try to get as much information about them before I get there as I can so that I have some good questions to ask. Like, like you said, it is a two-way street in the interview process. And you can definitely ask those questions. Like I see that you have some very, some reviews that are not so great about your company. You know, maybe it was a particular leader that a lot of people had issues with or whatever, but it's good to ask those questions and see how they deal with it. Cause that's one thing that can tip you off about the culture. If everybody says, Oh, it, you know, it's total trash. Don't believe them. That might be them trying to cover up or a culture where you can't really be completely honest about how you feel or give free feedback without fear of repercussions. So that's one thing. Another thing that has always been interesting is I like to, if it's going to be where I'm in office, I like to get a tour of the office and try to see what does the energy feel like? Is everybody in their cubicle not talking to one another? Are there people in the office or is everybody remote? Is there a general sense of energy and, you know, we, we like being here or is it very kind of drab and serious and maybe not as collaborative as what you're looking for. So those are definitely things that are important to me. And I think the biggest one for me or the one that I've experienced the most is when it feels like the interview process is kind of rushing along because there are definitely the larger companies take can take weeks and months to get through the entire process. And I understand that. But if there's a company, you know, you apply on Monday and by Tuesday, they've reached out to you and scheduled an interview and they want you to come in on Thursday. And then by Friday, they're trying to hire you. That to me feels too quick. And really? Maybe that's, 
maybe that's just me, but to me, it feels like we're trying to get a body in here because we have a project that we need people to work on and you passed the most basic of tests or we didn't really technically (laughs) interview you, but you're a live person and we can see (laughs) that you can code. So we need you. To me, that's that's a red flag. Let me play a little bit of devil's advocate on that being, you know, that it is a very competitive hiring market for front end developers. And so being really fast with an offer actually can behoove companies. But I do agree that if they really didn't like check you out at the, like the technical level to any de- decent degree, that can be a red flag for sure. I've got so related to that one red flag of mine is I always like to ask about our expectations, like how how much am I expected to work? And if you don't get a clear answer to that, I consider that a red flag. Um <laughs> Because uh, I've I've been a part of, and my w- wife is somewhat going through this right now, where you get told like, oh, yeah, it's a standard 40 hour week and you have breaks or like, but occasionally, like, you, you know, if there's something like big, it's like, well, but sometimes we have to make a push to, to get releases out. And then it turns out like, well, that we push releases out every two weeks. And so then we need extra hours like every other week to get this release across the finish line. It's a sort of thing that's very hard to verify before you take a job. But if you get clear answers to it, it can at least make you more confident that you're getting into something you're comfortable with. It also depends on where the stage of the company is too. Like there are different levels of funding. Like let's talk about startups, right? You go from seed to A round, B round, C round, D round, ML. I now heard up to F round uh, on companies. And then there's obviously, you know, companies that IPO'd or whatever, big private companies, whatever. Um, but, you know, each one of those levels is a sort of, you know, a certain level of instability, right? If you're going into a seed round company, you know, you got to expect that it's going to be like crazy. It can be tons of pivots and 60 to 80 hour weeks and yada, yada, yada. And like, you know, one week could be amazing. Next week could be nothing. This happens. Whereas like later on, you know, hopefully as you go through the repress, progress through those seed rounds, you're actually, you're, you're basically going from, you know, a small customer set to a larger customer set to a larger customer set, you know what you're building. And so at that point, you should have more stability, at least unless you're getting yourself into like a, a new area within an existing company, which can also be a little bit of unstableness. But yeah, you know, just make sure that like, whatever you're getting into you, it, it jibes with where you are in your life and you, the lifestyle that you're looking for. And be honest about that, right? Sometimes, yeah, you know, you are, you know, you got some really young kids or things like that. You got a lot of family commitments and you just need something eh, just not, not, not quite the 60 hour deal, more like the 40 hour deal, you know, kind of thing. Yeah, I, I think being honest about it is good because if you if you convey that during the interview and then you don't get the job for that, I mean that's a good thing, right? Because yeah, you're not putting yourself in a position where you're gonna be stressed out and it's not gonna be something that's sustainable for you. Because it's it's just about trying to make sure that your what you need matches up with what the job actually is as best as possible. Because like you said, some people thrive off that like crazy energy work a lot sort of thing. Oh, and if yeah. that's if you're at the appropriate point in your life for that, then great. It's just not getting that thrown at you as a curveball of like, hey, I started doing this and all of a sudden I'm being expected to work like crazy and I just can't make that work. Yeah. So before we wrap this up, any general advice that you all have from the experience that you've had doing interviews and, and being on the other side of the table and on and being interviewed? I guess my general advice would be apply for things that you don't feel you're you're qualified for. Talk through what you're thinking as you're 
trying to maybe solve a problem. Because a lot of times, like we said, they just want to see what you're thinking. If you say, if you're a quiet person who normally, you know, writes things down or just processes internally, uh, get comfortable with processing verbally what you're thinking, because that's how the interviewer will know if you're on the right track or not and can help redirect you maybe if you're going down the wrong path, trying to solve a problem and have questions about interesting, what do they enjoy about the job? Do they enjoy either the team that they work with or the the problems that they're trying to solve? Be interested in what they're doing because this could be what you end up doing. And I, I hope that you like what you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. If it's not spending, fun, why do it? Yeah, you're going to be spending a lot of time there with these people. So you better feel comfortable with it if you're going to put the time and effort in too. Yeah, and also that interviewers look for that too. Um, like if I'm interviewing someone, I want someone to be interested in the job, right? Because I want someone that's going to be enthusiastic to work there, not someone who could care less. So it also gives off good vibes that you are someone who's very curious, uh, interested, wants to be a part of that team and that projects as well. Yeah, be interested in the domain. Have an answer for sure to the question that you hopefully will get asked, which is why do you want to work here? You know, right. Yeah, uh, that's a common question. I mean, I would say if, if there's some advice I'll give, it would be be a part of the community in between looking for gigs. I think folks, you know, you get a job and the first, you know, a couple months are intense. So sure. Okay, fine. You know, maybe you don't want to go to meetups during that time. But once it kind of stabilizes, you get into a groove, you know, keep doing what you were doing before. Go to the meetups, go, you know, virtual or in person, go network uh, with other folks, write those medium posts, do those YouTubes, you know, get out there, be known in the community, you know, op commit to open source so that next time that you go looking for a gig, it's not like you're just kind of like, I'm only out there invisible when I'm, when I'm looking around, you know, and otherwise I'm in a hole, you know, kind of thing. It's a lot easier if, you know, you start looking around, people are like, oh man, you're looking around, cool. Here's an idea. Yep. And they come after you. That's nice. My last piece of advice, and this one's kind of hard, but is to just be confident. I, I think like if you come off as a confident person, you just come across better in general. If you don't feel very confident, pretend to be a confident person. <laughs> that, that's like a legit thing that can kind of help if you just envision yourself as a confident person, just because it it just gives off better vibes in general. And I, I, I think will help you a lot in the process. Take it till you make it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> awesome. Hey, folks, it's Charles Maxwood, and I just wanted to jump on real quick and let you know that I am putting together a podcasting course. I get asked all the time. I've been coaching people for the last six months. How do you start a podcast? How do you put it together? What do I need in order to get it going, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? Um, I've put together the curriculum. And I did it through coaching a whole bunch of people. And now I want to share it with you. You can go check out the course. It's actually going to be a masterclass. It's going to be a four-week masterclass where I actually walk you through the entire process of launching a terrific-sounding podcast and putting together content that people want to listen to. And you can find it at podcastbootcamp.io. Well, okay. So it is time for picks of the week. And this is where we give our favorite technology or could be anything. And today, we'll start off with uh, Paige. You got a pick for us? Sure. So my pick this week is going to be something that came in very handy recently for us, which was Wemo switches. 
Uh, if you're not familiar with them, they are they're little things that you can plug into any typical outlet in your home and make it kind of a smart switch. So the the use case that we had was when we put the Christmas tree up at, at, at home, we needed a way to turn the lights on and off on the tree, you know, so it's on when we're downstairs and up oh, during nice. the day, but off at night when we go to bed and don't need to see the tree. So, you know, these little things are very inexpensive by comparison to getting, you know, outfitting your home with smart switches or things like that. And it was really easy to connect to your phone and set a little timer on it. So, you know, at 7.30 in the morning, the tree goes on at nine o'clock at night or whenever tree goes, turns itself back off and you don't have to think about it or worry about it. So that was very handy. And I can see a lot of other timers or just useful things like that that would be good to have around the house. So that is going to be my pick for this week is Wemos. <laughs> nice. All right, TJ. And my pick for this week is going to be Chart.js. It's, uh, it's a little library. We've been using it blues and it's totally free. It's one of those projects that's really useful and somehow inexplicably free. I don't even know the people that, that make it or anything, but it's it's just a nice charting library that has some sane defaults. It's really easy to use. Uh, there's some React wrappers for it. So if you prefer to work with React components, there's little wrappers available for it as well. But uh, just, yeah, handy little chart library for those of you that need to, to work with charts. Awesome. Well, that segues nicely into my pick this week, which is Blues. So you guys got me a Blues note card, which I think is awesome. Thank you so much for that. And that's been really fun to play around with. And this is really cool. I mean, to imagine that you've got this little card that connects to the internet. They can you can get sensor readings on it, and you can make it do tricks remotely from anywhere, and and drive it off a battery. That is just it's really neat, and I'm I'm just super excited to be playing around with it. So, yeah, thank you so much for that, and and I'm enjoying it. So, what is it's, it's blues.io, right? Yeah, that's right. Awesome. I can't wait to see what you do with it. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Actually, I've got a lot of technical writing that I need to get through. But uh, once I'm done with that, hopefully I can get back into it. Yeah, cool. Nice. All right. Well, this has been super fun. And we will see you next week on React Roundup. See you Bye, later. everybody. Bye. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit dot com to learn more.